Welcome to A is for Adulthood. I consider this podcast a spin-off of grown-ass kids, but that's not to say that it doesn't make me nervous because as we all know, spin-offs are a little hairy. I'm crossing my fingers that we're more on par with the facts of life to different strokes and not that show Joey to friends. I'm sorry, LeBlanc, but I'm pretty sure you can concur. So in keeping with this new name, the first episode of this podcast is all about adulthood and wondering just what it means to be an adult. And if you've been listening to grown-ass kids for any time at all, you know by now that adulthood is a topic we revisit frequently. So as the podcast grows up, I thought, why wouldn't I try a more grown-up approach to this topic? So join me this week to explore what it means to be an adult. I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? I'm in my 30s. I'm unmarried, without kids. I rent my home and I work in an unstable industry with a non-traditional career. A few years ago, as my friends started to get engaged and plan their weddings and buy their homes, I began to wonder if I was doing it wrong. It's not that I don't want some of these things, they just haven't fit into my life yet. You may have heard me discuss this very topic throughout the years with Shireen. And if you think about it, why else did I change the podcast name from Two V's in a Pod to Grown Ass Kids a few years back? It was obvious that the topic weighed heavy on my mind. I was wondering if I qualified for adulthood and if I was failing because I hadn't acquired the things that I told myself were the markers of adulthood. What I soon learned was that I was measuring myself, like many of us do, against outdated markers that really only came to prominence in the 1950s and 60s. And honestly, they really only applied back then. I came to this realization while reading an article in The Atlantic by Julie Beck. In the article, she writes, If you think of the transition to adulthood as a collection of markers, getting a job, moving away from your parents, getting married, and having kids, for most of history, with the exception of the 1950s and 60s, people did not become adults in any kind of predictable way. And yet, these are still the markers of adulthood today. And when people take too long to acquire them or skew them altogether, it becomes a reason to lament that no one is a grown-up. In the article, Ms. Beck tells a story about a young man named Henry that might remind us of people we know, if not our own selves, and it only goes to prove that the notion of adulthood that many of us hold on to really is not the norm. She writes, It would probably be fair to call Henry aimless, 
After he graduated from Harvard, he moved back in with his parents, a boomerang kid straight out of the trend pieces of the travails of young adults. Despite graduating in a recession, Henry managed to land a teaching job, but two weeks in, he decided it wasn't for him and he quit. It took him a while to find his calling. He worked in his father's pencil factory, as a door-to-door magazine salesman, took on other teaching and tutoring gigs, and even spent a brief stint shoveling manure before finding some success with his true passion, writing. Henry published his first book when he was 31 years old, after 12 years of changing jobs and bouncing back and forth between his parents' home, living on his own, and crashing with a buddy. He may have floundered a bit during young adulthood, but Henry David Thoreau turned out pretty okay. And the buddy he crashed with, for the record, that was Walt Waldo Emerson. So if adulthood isn't a laundry list of achievements, how do we measure or know when a person is a full-fledged adult? And is that even possible? So let's listen back to an earlier episode from the Grown Ass Kids podcast when Shireen and some friends discuss this very topic. I don't think our parents are a good way to, like, a good comparison. I really just think when people say adult, it's the level of independence. You you have, like, do you have to depend on anyone for anything? Okay, yeah, then I'm also not an adult based on that standard. Oh, I would say then I'm the most adult person I could ever imagine, but I don't agree with that if you're going off of independence. What the hell else could make you an adult? What, what else could possibly make you an adult? See, I think my problem is I visually compare myself against other adults. Like, I, I don't I don't show up to work. I need to bring this back around. I don't show up to work in a hoodie. But, like, if you guys have listened, you know what I mean. Anyways, um, I don't show up to work, like, in a hoodie and sweatpants. But I'm always looking. John. No, no. It's the weekend and we're podcasting. If you guys, Anne's wearing the hoodie. I didn't even say that. Like, I, looked, I was looking right at you talking and didn't even do that. But I don't show up to, like, the workplace like that, right? But there's always some, there's always somebody that's dressed more adult-like. Like, I, I equate this to, do you remember when you were in high school and I was a freshman? I remember this. I look up the seniors, especially the girls, and you'd be like, oh my god, they're, they're ladies. They're so adult-like. Yeah, full J. Crew they outfits. even looked more adult-like than, like, my own mother and father dressed. I remember that in my head. I, I have to throw in, I do not think style of dress has anything to do with being an adult. So is Betty White a teenager because she's wearing sweats all day? <laughs> I can never look at her and think teenager. Well, that's what I'm saying. The point is, it's just it, that is a personality thing that has nothing to do with it. If you were, you may have noticed the seniors who were dressed up, but you weren't paying attention to the other seniors that were doing grunge, leather, goth kids, all that kind of stuff that has nothing to do with dressing up. It's a personality thing. It's also about a way that people carry themselves. Okay, like yeah, if somebody true. is dressed that's in true. a J Crew or something that looks really adult, and they're also just like presenting themselves in the world, like I take myself seriously. Okay, well, and I'm I feel an adult, like then maybe you're be even more, if they're not really adult. Like the people that do dress up a little more, put a little more effort into that. I feel like they also will put a little bit into the right. The two how they tend to go hand in yeah. hand. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And they would probably be the people who do make more money <laughs> yeah. because they're playing that part. Right. They but will... if you think about, it, I guess there is a connection because you are basically saying people who dress more sophisticated, and the root of that word being sophist and wisdom. So yes, there is something to that. I'm glad you're a dictionary, yeah. or is that a thesaurus? I have this thing with my with my job where I really, I deeply resent the dress code at my work. So I'm constantly like oh, following it, but also like trying is. to be. Tell edgy. me what it is. We basically just we have to wear business attire every day, even though I work in a call center. I'm not interacting. Can you with wear the jeans? Public. No, I can. We can wear jeans on Fridays, but I don't work on Fridays, so I don't even get to reap the benefits of have that. Have you ever thought we, about wearing jeans on Thursday because that's your Friday? 
I would, they, I have actually worn jeans and or like leggings. We're not supposed to wear leggings either. I've worn stuff and been asked to go home and change. So no, I'm. You actually got asked to go home and change? I did wear see-through leggings a couple times and my boss did tell me that she could see my Could you see your underwear? Yeah. (laughs) You answered. So so that happened, but, (laughs) but, but there have been other times where I wore things like I wore leggings one time and my butt was completely covered. I was wearing like a long thing and leggings and they still asked me to go home and change. So I, but now I follow the dress code, but I'll that wear like, so I'll wear like my Doc Martens just to be like, I'm, f- fuck you guys. I'm going to follow the dress code technically, but I'm going to put a little edge on it. And I have this like alternative weird haircut. So I feel like I'm kind of trying to like buck the system all the time. And that's maybe not that grown up. Even though I think I do a really good job at my job, which is why I feel secure in being like, I'm going to be a little edgy because I know I'm good at my job and fuck it all. Whatever. Are we equating being an adult with being mature? Because those are two different things, too. Right. I think those are two totally different things. I think perceive of myself as being very mature, but not an adult at all. But I don't think I'm an adult because I don't have a job that I that I want or that I take seriously. I'm still in school. My mom pays like a third of my rent every month because I'm a student and she wanted me to go back to school and like... That's that awesome. To me feels like I'm not an adult because. Well, I'm... you know what though? I honestly think that there's not anybody on the look. There might be a couple, but I argue that most people are not 100 percent adult. I think we're always right. on the like road towards being an adult or towards adulthood, and we might get a little more mature. <laughs> yes. No, but I, I don't think, think, I don't think, think that I don't, makes sense. I don't think there's anybody that's ever 100 percent an adult. As an adult, you have to change your standard. Yeah, I, know, I don't we think do, there's yeah. any... I, okay, I think it's maybe what we see as an adult. I don't really know adult. what an adult is. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, okay, Shireen. Shireen, you can tell me what a 100% adult is? Yes. Can, a, can an adult be immature? Yes. Then you're about to blow my mind because I want to hear this. Okay, I'm going to turn 18. Wait, wait, you guys? I just... Okay, hold on. I just want to put this out here. If anybody's listening to this podcast and you... I think we have Oprah 2.0 right here. I have no investment in this. I have no investment in this conversation, but I am losing it for some reason. What? I'm inspired by your passion. Well, because I'm just like, yeah, yeah at this point, because you cannot say, I don't think anyone becomes an adult. Then, th- then, I don't think anybody becomes 100%. Maybe you become a 99%, but you're always working. Then who, if there's no 100%, what's, what is the standard? It, can't, it sounds like then an impossible standard that should not exist. I agree. Adult at this point, then, based on the conversation I'm hearing, I'm going to go ahead and say it over 18. You are an adult and mature. Maturity is what you guys are striving for. And I, I can agree with you where there's this idea of maturity, the standard of maturity that I don't think anybody fully. It's almost like self-actualization. It's nirvana. It is that thing we are all striving for and will never reach. Because, yeah, I can come into the world and I'm, I'm self-aware. But to me, I'm like anybody, the, the minute you have a kid, you're, you're just stuck at that age. That's the age you're stuck at. And there's some, I just was reading something about someone who said that the age you get married, that's, that's when you stop growing. Or that makes, that that makes the makes age sense. you become. I party with my mom. You don't feel like you've stopped growing since <laughs> No, I think I actually matured a lot more. I'm saying I was being married. And then there's also the one that it's the age you become an addict is when you stop maturing as well. That was when I was 15. So, So, yeah, but maturity, I think, is what everybody's talking about now because adult, let's just call it 18. Okay, well, yeah. Legally, at 18, everybody is an adult. So, are we all agreeing? Well, I think I'm newly agreeing. Are we saying adulthood is just the legal? 
I guess because Dirt. other everything else, every other definition is completely subjective and doesn't really mean anything. And varies so then from maybe maturity. Person, and then so, so can you agree, yeah. Mother Oprah, that maturity is something that we're always growing towards? I don't think anybody can becoming a actually mature be hundred percent mature. Well, I I think you can't be a hundred percent mature because everything's going to be retrospective. It's not till your deathbed that you're going to look back and then be able to be like, should have did that. Oh yeah, I would have did that differently. Uh, you know, because what you're, I think what you guys are talking about, about as far as being adults, it all comes with the experience of age and the many different things that are going to happen that you can now look and say, well, don't put your hand in the fire. Uh, don't call your ex when you're drunk. <laughs> yes. That is a good lesson. You know, all these things we call maturity is just really experience. Again, sophisticated wisdom. Wisdom is experience. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. Well, I guess not Wisdom, really. Some people, yes. Some people will never. It'll never stick. There are, there are be lots of things that you witness, like twenty-two-year-olds doing, that you're like, okay, yeah, technically they're an adult in the eyes of the law, but I just never would do that now because I'm older and wiser and smarter, and I, yeah. All right. I then, don't think I don't look at it most like tw- twenty to twenty-four-year-olds and think of them as adults. I really don't. But Even then I know there are some there are some twenty-one year olds beyond are, their years. Yes. That okay, I can't use but, adulthood, but they're probably more mature than I am. But I feel like they had certain things happen in their lives exactly. before I did. So, is adulthood marked by age, perhaps? But age alone is confusing as hell within itself. You know, here in the U.S., at the age of sixteen, we can drive a car. At 18, we can vote and enlist in the military, but we still have to wait until 21 to drink? I still don't get it. Why is it that someone can operate a weapon and fight for their country and kill people, but at the same time not be allowed to drink a beer? I mean, believe me, we all know nobody follows that rule, but I just don't understand why it even exists. Do these rules we've constructed around various ages have anything to do with adulthood? I've really begun to think that adulthood is a very subjective measurement tied to life experiences. To help me better understand, I've asked some friends when they first felt like adults, if at all. And here's what some of them had to say. I don't know that I've ever really felt like an adult, but there was definitely a specific time where I stopped feeling like a kid. And that was um, losing a parent at the age of just barely 19, which put me way out of step with everybody else my age. And it was just an experience that I think forced me to grow up um, faster than I probably otherwise would have. There's nothing like death, like the death of a loved one or an immediate family member, but also just death in general and watching it happen up close that I think matures people in a unique way. Um, But that was a long time ago. And I still haven't achieved any of the trappings of what I thought adulthood would look like. So I guess I'm kind of trapped in some sort of purgatory. (laughs) Although, actually, I don't even know. I don't know what I thought adulthood would look like when I was younger. I mean, I never never imagined getting married or having kids or even owning a home. I think I just wanted to have a meaningful career that I felt good about and could be moderately successful at. I wanted to be able to afford to live and go on modest vacations every once in a while. And those are still the things that I'm striving for. And I don't know if and when I achieve those things, if I'll feel like an adult then, I don't know. I think adulthood is really a 
it's an elusive concept to all of us. Everybody kind of gets there at their own pace, and some people never get there, and maybe there is no there there anyway. Um, I mean, I feel really confident and um, just confident in some areas of life that I am mature and I have my act together, um, but I also just totally shirked all of my responsibilities this afternoon in favor of watching YouTube and eating like nine pounds of frozen yogurt with um, gummy bears. So, you know, I don't know. Who knows what adulthood is? I certainly haven't achieved adult level time or dietary management skills yet for whatever that's worth. So I remember the first time I thought I was an adult was on a weekend trip to San Diego when I was 18 and we went down there so my friends and I could cross the border and go drinking in Mexico. But the first time I actually felt like an adult was at the age of 35 when my then fiance and now husband and I had a real nitty gritty conversation about our finances and any debt the two of us had. There are few things more adult than debt, right? Thank you for sharing, Amanda and Sarah. You know, sometimes people also become adults due to their relationship and experience with their parents. So with the permission of Emily Baines, I'd like to share this article uh, featured in the bold italic called Being the Adult When Your Parents Act Like Children. My father recently rang to ask for advice about his online dating profile, five minutes after I finished a call with my mother. Mom had called for the sole purpose of informing me, yet again, how sexy her 60-year-old boyfriend's body is. Neither parent asked if I wanted to have these conversations, which I didn't. Unfortunately, this is my new normal. As both my parents informed me, I am an adult now. This means, apparently, since their divorce, that I am privy to everything. My parents had always been less than stellar when it came to boundaries. When I was a child, they didn't bother to close the doors as they fought throughout the night. My nightmares always involved a lot of yelling. The discord didn't occur only at night, however. Car rides were a constant source of drama. As she drove me to school, Mom would rail against how inconsiderate my father was. He never opens the door for me, she'd sigh. My dad, when he wasn't out of town on business, would drive me to a sleepover and spend the ride complaining about my judgmental mother. She never asked about my day. Both my parents informed me that I was their confidant, with my mother, in her weaker moments, going as far to tell my eight-year-old self that I was her best and only friend. While my parents remained vague in the specifics of their disharmony, I nonetheless knew enough to realize we weren't like other families. So I grew up fast. At birthday parties, I watched my friend's smiling parents serve me cake and wondered if they fought too, if this dad also went on long business trips or had a secret locked drawer. I wondered if the mom with her perfectly applied makeup also cried in the shower. The happier the parents looked, the more I doubted the veracity of their love. From a young age, I thought I knew it all. I knew that just because people were married, it didn't mean they were happy. I knew people could fall out of love. My own parents certainly didn't like each other very much. That wasn't a secret. I just didn't realize how deep those roots of acrimony had grown. Then I turned 30. Everyone had said I'd feel different when I turned 30. You'll feel more mature friends who'd recently entered their third decade claimed, you suddenly know what you want in life. You start to feel and act like an adult. The morning of my 30th birthday, I woke up smiling at the house my boyfriend and I had rented in Joshua Tree. 
I stretched and smiled. They were right. I did feel different. I felt at peace. Then my phone rang. It was my father. I assumed he was calling with felicitations. Happy birthday, he began on the heels of my answer, proving that particular assumption true. But he didn't stop there. I hate to do this on your birthday, but you're an adult now. I've decided to divorce your mother. Happy birthday to me. There are countless books with advice for parents on how to talk about divorce with their child. The problem is the child in question is usually a child. There aren't guidebooks, at least not one my parents are reading, on how to talk about a divorce to your adult daughter or son. When I went to college, my mother confessed how happy she was that she could talk to me like an adult. Our testy relationship, which had become increasingly strained during my teenage years and my subsequent discovery of boys, grew more calm and loving. I would call my mom and talk about my boyfriend and not lie about whether or not he'd slept over. Our jokes became a tad more risque. We were close. There were no secrets anymore between us. With the divorce, however, the closeness has become too close. Some things are better left unsaid. Some secrets are better left hidden. Turning 30 was my parents' new excuse to no longer parent. They no longer bother to filter their thoughts. I'm hearing things about their past, and subsequently my own, that no adult would ever tell their young child. Family vacations, old birthday parties, and reunions have all been cast in a new light thanks to my parents' sudden need to unload years of pent-up hurt and frustration. My father will take me out to dinner and tell me over grilled salmon about some hurtful thing my mother did 25 years ago. You're 30, he'll always say, reassuring himself that this is appropriate. You're old enough to know the truth. Mom will call crying about a mean email my father sent and then bring up some old transgression. I nod and try to stay supportive. I love both my parents, after all. So there I am, caught in the middle, trying desperately to stay neutral, trying to remember how to breathe. Ironically, my 28-year-old brother is still babied. Don't tell Chris, my parents will add before we end our calls. This would upset him. It'd upset anyone, I want to scream. Anyone who was born of this marital union that's made you miserable for 30-odd years. But I agree, nonetheless. If my younger brother can stay out of it, that's one less unhappy member of our family. Now I'm parenting my parents. When a woman doesn't answer my father's eHarmony message, I repeat the wisdom my own mother once told me. If they're not smart enough to recognize how special you are, then they certainly aren't good enough for you. When my mom has a fight with her boyfriend and calls me sobbing, I talk her off the ledge. I listen to them both complain about loneliness and bite my tongue when I think of telling them just how lonely those conversations have made me. Sometimes I wonder if it would have been better if my parents divorced when I was a kid. Certainly they would have worked harder to keep me out of it. But then I realized that as an adult, I at least have the maturity to cope. They're right about one thing. Even if I felt like an adult in the past, I am most definitely one now. When I went to my dad's apartment after my mom fled, her stuff still littered about the dining room table, her room still smelling like mom, I cried. I let myself cry for a good half hour. Then I pushed my shoulders back and stared at myself in the mirror that my mother and I once used when she did my makeup for prom. I let myself feel my grief, and then I took a deep breath. I reminded myself that we all still had our health, that in the long run, this was for the best. Perhaps my parents would finally be happy. I'm not sure I could have done that quite as easily as a child. I certainly wouldn't have stopped crying as easily. The hardest thing about being an adult is the realization that, really, all adults feel like children. All that's keeping adults from acting like them are their experiences and responsibilities. I once read that the notion of childhood was a concept created by modern society that only started to take hold during the Enlightenment. Before that, children were pretty much treated as miniature adults. Later, 
Writer and philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau described childhood as a brief period of sanctuary before people encounter the hardships and perils of adulthood. I yearn for a return to that sanctuary, and then realize that even back then, the signs of my parents' discontent were knocking at the doors, whispering through the cracks, attempting to enter. At least now I can face my persecutors head-on. Deep within me, there's the knowledge that, if things get truly scary, I can still call out for my mom and dad, and they still could rescue me. The difference is, now that I'm an adult, I can also rescue myself. So let's say that it's really things like becoming 18 and the unique and varied experiences in our life that make us adults. Um, If that's true, why is it that so many of us still hold on to this outdated and unattainable laundry list of things we think we need to obtain in order to become an adult? You know, it's as if we think that, you know, check, get married, check, buy a house, get a kid, get a kid, have a kid, um, have a career, um, have a retirement plan. And then voila, somehow you get a certificate in the mail that says now you're an adult and you know, you're done. But the problem is, is that so many of us for a variety of reasons or choices, we're not attaining that laundry list. And what was true in the 1950s and 60s is not true in 2018. You know, nowadays, Retirement plans and 401ks are not things that you easily find at work. And most people don't have careers. They have, you know, just jobs that pay bills. And most people are just figuring out and struggling every month to just make it day by day. You know, there's not that option of, oh, here's an extra couple hundred bucks every week or every month that I can throw into a savings account and a retirement plan. So given those facts... How is it even possible then to become an adult given that laundry list? Anyways, I could talk in circles. I could get friends input, you know, about adulthood. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something different. Let me reach out to um, an educated man that can speak to this topic of adulthood and see what he has to say about why we still um, torture ourselves with this laundry list of adulthood. So I reached out to Professor Stephen Mintz, and this is what he had to say. What I know about you, I know you're, you're currently a professor of history at uh, University of Texas, Austin, correct? Correct. And I know you've taught at other institutions. It's Columbia and Oberlin over the years. And in 2004, you wrote Prime of Life, A History of Modern Adulthood. As a historian, how did you find yourself writing about the topic of adulthood? Well, I'm interested in the life course. We are experiencing really profound changes in the nature of childhood, of adolescence, of the transition to adulthood, adulthood and old age. And my interest is in trying to put that into historical perspective. What particularly strikes me is that objectively, people had more difficult lives in the past. Many people died prematurely, illnesses were widespread, work involved for almost all people, very taxing physical labor, Uh, and yet we feel, I think, more stressed more anxious, more uncertain than those people did. And so one of the questions that most interests me is, 
how can that be the case? Why is that? And in this case, why is it that parents are so obsessed about their children's well-being? Why do we worry more than ever about the transition to adulthood? Why is it that so many adults seem to be lonely, isolated, depressed, anxious, and overstressed? I mean, these are all questions that are historical. That is, uh, it works on the assumption that things were different in the past and they're different today. And why is that? You know, and part of the reason why I want to talk to you is because so many friends, I'll see this so often in articles and publications, and myself, you know, struggling over the years to define adulthood, especially in relation to myself. Um, so many of us are considered adult children because we haven't obtained the quote-unquote trappings of adulthood. Where does this understanding and definition that a lot of us have been carrying around about what adulthood is come from? Uh, interestingly, the word adulthood is a relatively recent invention. It oh, really? doesn't always exist. Shakespeare never used the word adulthood. It's a product of the late 19th century. And it arose in reaction to a new definition of childhood. Childhood was a time, in theory, of innocence, of asexuality, of naivete, of purity, and adulthood was defined in opposition to that definition of childhood. Uh, over time, in the course of the 20th century, adulthood became closely connected to certain gender roles and certain social expectations. So you were expected to marry, you were expected to buy a house, you were expected, if you were a man, to have a full-time job, you were expected to have children. And that definition of adulthood, which was very closely tied to gender markers, became dominant. What happened since the 1960s is the emergence of what I'll call postmodern adulthood. All of those markers, all of those uh, benchmarks of being an adult have broken down. So most adults no longer spend most of their adulthood within marriage. Uh, owning a house is no longer a key definer of adulthood. Instead of staying with one job, we have multiple careers over our lifespan. So what we've seen is the replacement of what I call modern adulthood, that is the adulthood you and your friends associate with certain markers, and this postmodern adulthood, which is a period of flux, it's a period of uncertainty, it's a period of multiple careers and often multiple relationships, and my argument is that that's the source of the anxiety and stress that so many of us feel today. The rule book that defined adulthood has broken down. That's so interesting, especially since you say that adulthood is such a, you know, a new construct. Why is it that so many of us are still carrying around this notion of adulthood from 40 plus years ago? Well, we... Uh, are socialized with certain assumptions and expectations 
and we do carry those with us throughout our lives. And it doesn't matter whether it's real, in the sense that that was our parents' lives. Uh, these baseline assumptions uh, have a really strong influence on our behavior, on our ideals, on our fantasies. We really exist in two worlds, I would argue. There's the world of the everyday and there's the world of the imagination or the world of culture or the world of values. And those, that world is just as important as the real world we live in. And the discrepancy between those two worlds has been a real source of agony for many adults. Now, let me add, uh, it is extremely easy to criticize that earlier definition of adulthood. Mm-hmm. Right? It constrained women in particular. It relegated minorities to second-class status. Many men felt forced into roles that didn't give them much fulfillment. I mean, it's very easy to criticize it, and I'm not here to defend it. But it's also the case that the transition to the more flexible postmodern adulthood has also created problems. There's a great deal more social isolation than there was in the past. People uh, seem to have fewer friends and they did fewer intimate associates. They spend less time on face-to-face relationships. This used to be a nation of joiners. Fewer people today are members of organizations like PTAs, bowling leagues, fraternal orders, and churches. And that isolation, we have learned, can be very deadly that social isolation actually kills more people than does cancer or heart disease. Wow. You know, and you talk about all these negative aspects, but you, you know, you attribute some of them to this new, um, I guess, this new phase of adulthood, you know, for lack of a better word. But then you also say there was harm coming from trying to define ourselves by the old notions of adulthood. Is one worse than the other? Oh, I, we, whatever nostalgia or lack of nostalgia one may have for the past, I can assure you we cannot be catapulted backward. There is no time machine that will take us back to the past. Uh, So that's just a reality. We have to, I think, look closely at the world that we've created and see if we can make it better. We live in a work-centric society. Uh, Most men and most women get their identity and much of their fulfillment from their jobs. And what we've learned is that people don't just perform their jobs and then have a life. They carry their job with them. People do not take all the vacation days that they're allocated Many people find work less stressful and less anxiety-inducing than they do family life. And so we have many people who retreat to work as an escape from the stresses of their uh, personal lives. I mean, what an irony. Right. Uh, this, this 
conflict between work life and personal life uh, is not simply going to be solved, in other words, by restricting the hours of work or restricting the hours of email. It requires a real transvaluation of values. What I mean by that is so long as we only find fulfillment in our work, then we will never have really complete lives and we will continue to feel anxious and stressed and time pressured in ways that are not good for us and that there's no real reason for being. From your research and studies, have you stumbled upon a better way to suggest that we think about adulthood and how we define it against ourselves? Well, I would contrast the rigid, middle-class conception of adulthood of the 1950s, early 1960s, with its very rigid gender division of roles with men as breadwinners and wives as housewives and mothers, and instead embrace what I will call the Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn version of adulthood. And that views adulthood in terms of worldliness, of sophistication, of experience, of reliability, of trustworthiness. It is very striking that beginning in the 1950s and greatly accelerating in the 1960s, any notion of an adult culture disappeared. Uh, it was replaced by television, uh, and that culture, not the culture of nightclubs, uh, not the culture of jazz, but the culture of Mr. Ed and Gilligan's Island, uh, is not really an adult culture. And what we need to do collectively, I think, is to create greater meaning for adulthood uh, that better reflects that uh, fantasy we all have of Cary Grant or Catherine Hepburn. Uh, that is, that adulthood isn't a retreat or a loss of the joys and excitement of adolescence, early adulthood, but is meaningful in its own way. Well, that's great. And if you don't mind, I want to ask you, I guess, a semi-personal question. When did you first feel like an adult in your life? It happened gradually, and that, that I think, is very revealing. During the 1950s, early 1960s, there was an abrupt transition to adulthood. The average woman was married by the age of 20, as opposed to uh, a decade later today. The average man was a year or two older than his wife. By the age of 22, they had their first child. By the age of 25, they had two or three children. They had a house, responsibilities. Uh, in other words, the youth culture of the 1950s or early 1960s was extremely brief. It was really high school. And after that, you were an adult. But in our world, this transition occurs extremely slowly. 
Uh, people don't end their education to their mid-20s. They often aren't marrying, if they do marry, until their late 20s or early 30s. They're often not having their first child until their 30s or even late 30s. And so you only gradually begin to be feel to be an adult. And uh, that is so different than in the relatively recent past. And it helps explain why many parents and grandparents say, why don't you grow up? That makes perfect sense. And I'm, I guess I'm just still trying to understand why it is at that period of, first off, why did that come to be in the 50s and 60s? Why did, I guess, ch- children grow up so quickly? And then at the same time, why is that brief period our benchmark? Early adulthood was fueled by circumstances. Uh, The Depression had forced people to postpone marriage. World War II had forced people to postpone marriage. Uh, The hardships, financial hardships of the Great Depression made it difficult to achieve independence. And then suddenly, after World War II, in a booming economy, people had the wherewithal to start a family at extremely young ages without having acquired a lot of debt the way young people do now. So there uh, was an opportunity and, uh, and before the sexual revolution, uh, this was the only acceptable social avenue for having a fulfilling sex life, for having an intimate relationship. Uh, In that much more rigid society, that was all that was possible. And so people seized on that. But we've undergone immense economic changes and attitudinal changes. Uh, The economic changes, I think, are extremely important. Mm -hmm. You cannot support a family on any job in your early 20s now. It just cannot be done. It's really not until the uh, mid-30s that you have the income to truly support a family. Um, So the economy has, I think, greatly contributed to this slowdown in the pace of becoming an adult. And as that happened, as that delayed, then youth culture began to fill the vacuum. That is a protracted period of time of relative freedom in which you don't have to have an adult job, but you can have lots of fun in the interim. There's nothing wrong with that. I am not criticizing that at all. It just represents a fundamental shift in society. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. This has given me lots and lots of food for thought and really helps me better understand adulthood. Well, thank you and have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. How interesting it is to be made aware that this laundry list of markers of adulthood that I've been holding myself to, you know, was formulated and created with the notion that women stay at home with the children and the men go out and buy the cars and buy the home and have the career and have the retirement. 
And I never stopped to even think about that for a second. I was just holding the whole laundry list up towards myself. But more than that, you know, I ne- it never even occurred to me the damage that trying to live up to this um, unobtainable list was doing to people, you know? The focus on the careers, the anxiety, the loneliness, the list goes on. I'd like to, as Stephen pointed out, think of adulthood as a Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant-esque uh, stage of life, a more mature and sophisticated time in life, um, rather than just a list of markers. And this surely doesn't mean that overnight myself or others are going to stop thinking that 2.5 kids and a white picket fence are the gateway to adulthood. But society can only define adulthood so far. In the end, it's about the individual. And mind you, I'm sure we can all list plenty of people who have some of those trappings of the laundry list, who can't take care of their homes they bought, can barely hold down their jobs, and who have no business raising kids. You might have all the trappings of a 1950s and 60s definition of adulthood, but if you still behave like a child, are you even an adult? I'll leave that up to you. But in the end, all that matters is what makes you feel like an adult. I remember one time I was a little older than college age. I think I was still in my early 20s. And I went to go visit a professor of mine. And I was experiencing that quarter-life crisis where I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I asked him, like, what should I do? And he's like, I don't know. I have no idea what you should do. I don't know what I'm doing. And he was definitely in his 40s at that time. So I think that's a pretty good example of how adults feel about adulthood. <laughs> like, ah, jig is up. We don't know what we're doing. I haven't felt like an adult until somebody really relied on me. My wife doesn't rely on me. My family doesn't rely on me, but my kid needs me to be there for them. And that is the first time I've ever felt like an adult. I can't quite recall the first time I felt like an adult because truth be told, I think I'm still working on it. I've gone to college and paid off those loans on my own. I've paid rent, never once late, and secured every credit card for which I've applied. I've shown up to work on time, if not early, for the last 20 years. I've learned to listen to others' points of views without being prepared to speak next, but to truly listen and learn. I've learned to think before I speak and to react rationally and not emotionally. After many, many years, I've learned to love myself for what I am and not nitpick traits as imperfections. I've learned to say, I don't know, and I'm sorry. I've made hard decisions because I had to, not because I wanted to. These are all things that I see as successful traits of adults. But there are still so many things I could or should do that would be adult-like to others. But therein lies the trick. Being or feeling like an adult is so subjective. I'm proud of all the things I've accomplished. I managed to take very good care of myself in many ways. I'm happy. Yet, I don't own a home, I'm not married or have kids, and I definitely don't have retirement plans. Things that fall at the top of the list for many. So would I say I feel like an adult? Sometimes yes. Sometimes definitely no. And I'm 100% okay with that. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling. You're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy doo 